0: So this morning we're going to wrap up our uh, series that we've been in for weeks now on the doctrines of Christ out of Hebrews chapter 6. as. As uh, many of you guys know, the purpose of this series has simply been to revisit and reinforce uh, the foundational teachings of the Christian faith. And uh, so before we jump into the message, let me simply say two things. Uh, The first one is this, is if you miss any part of this series, uh, I want you to know that you can always go to our podcast and catch any sermon you've missed. And secondly, and this is really important, so please hear me. If you have any questions or need any clarity, you know, more clarity on anything that's been preached or taught through this series, I want you to know that our entire pastoral team, that we're available if anybody would like to chat. So, so we're here for you if you need it. Amen? All right, so let's, uh, let's look at our main text one more time for this This series, and we'll get the ball rolling here. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the writer said this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles or the elementary teachings of Christ, let us go on to perfection, or let us move on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgments. Now, I don't know what all you think about when you read that, but one of the things that has stuck out to me for years is simply this, is how it appears to be uh, when you read that, there's an intentional an progression of the subjects that are listed there, me- meaning that it would appear like these foundational teachings are laid out in such a way that they actually give us, actually show us uh, what our spiritual life looks like really from beginning to end. And if you can just think about this with me for a second... Uh, where do we begin? The first place we begin is obviously we know we repent from our dead works, right? And we have faith towards God. That's called our salvation moment. And if you fast forward really in our lives, I wish I had time to break all this down, but I don't. But but where do we, for lack of a better term, end? It's at the resurrection of the dead and in the eternal judgment, or we can simply say all this ends in eternity, Now, have you ever wondered maybe why the Holy Spirit would inspire the writer of Hebrews to lay out these subjects in such an obvious order? Um, I believe it's partially because of two things. The first one is this, because I don't think God wants you and I to be confused about our overarching journey of what it really looks like with him. So he's given us a glimpse, a picture. But more importantly, I think this, and this is where I want to sit for a minute, is I think he wants you and I to be prepared for what awaits us in eternity. So if I can just kind of maybe sit right there and that we're prepared for a moment, I actually want to share a story with you and we'll just kind of get running in a direction. I, I read this a few days ago out of one of Rick Renner's books. He said this. He said, I remember years ago when Princess Diana died in a car accident on August the 31st, 1997 while fleeing paparazzi in Paris. Says her sudden death stunned the watching world because she seemed to be an icon of a blossoming young life. Since says millions of people watched her funeral service, and for a short time, grieving people all over the world were gripped by the abrupt loss of a young woman who one day earlier seemed to have the bestest life had to offer laid at her feet. Then he went on to say this. Please don't miss this. He says, I don't know whether or not Diana had a relationship with Christ, but I remember saying to a friend on the telephone, wow, Princess Diana's sudden death really makes me think of how close eternity is to every person. I wonder where she is in eternity right now, heaven or hell. And so he went on to say basically because her death brought the reality of eternity to his mind. And so he was simply just kind of sharing his thoughts with his friend. But but watch how his friend responded. the whole reason I'm reading this. His friend said this. He said, how dare you ask such a terrible question? How could you be so judgmental? How dare you even ask such a question about such a kind and good person? Of course she went to heaven. She did so many good things for people. So Rick went on to say that obviously his friend clearly misjudged his comment because he didn't feel any judgment towards Diana. He was simply expressing out of, you know, kind of out loud this sobering, this thought of uh, just this unscapable reality that every one of us are going to have to face when we die. And then he said this to his friend. He said, I apologize uh, for asking that question and never discussed eternity with that friend again because I realized that I had touched a subject that was difficult for him to consider. He said, I have no idea what Princess Diana is in eternity, but my friend's response told me that he thought doing good things for people was good enough to qualify people for eternal life in heaven. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind, but when I, when I read that, it immediately just reminded me of all the conversations that I've had over the years uh, where I've talked to people and they've said, yeah, I believe in an afterlife, I believe in a heaven, I believe in you know, whatever wording they put to it. But, but what I've realized again and again and again is as the conversation would progress, it only took me really a few minutes to realize that their version of the afterlife, that all it required of a person is to simply just be generally good. In other words, it conveniently meant that everyone not named Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, or Osama bin Laden, man, they end up in a really good place. Now, while that might sound, uh, you, you know, convenient, it might sound great in theory, I want us to know, as God's people, it is not biblical. Right. So so listen, I'm simply reminding all of us this morning as we're trying to bring this series to an end is that our God is still a king and he still rules the kingdom. And it's not a democracy. So you and I don't get a vote on the standard by which other people or ourselves are judged by. The only thing we can do is quote the Bible. Right. And so, listen, in spite of what might be uh, you know, culturally unacceptable today, I, I still want to remind us that Jesus said hard things. Yes, so listen what he said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter by the narrow gate. That's what he's telling us to do. And then he says this, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. In other words, there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. And there's a whole lot of people going the broad way. And he said, but look, you need to think about this narrow way. And it says in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. And those who find it are few. So listen, on that note, wherever we're at today, because I know how people think, I want you to know that good works can't get anyone to heaven, only being in Christ can. See, genuine salvation still comes through repentance of dead works and still comes through faith towards God. So in other words, that I'm trying to say today that making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior is still the narrow way. Amen. So, so listen, when someone dies, obviously we mourn, it's sad, all of that stuff. I'm not trying to take away from any of that. But I want you to know that the question that we have to ask at that moment is not if they were a good person or not. We have to ask, did they know Jesus or not? See, on that note, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. How many of you guys are grateful for the grace that he shows us? Amen. He says, "And that not of yourself; it is the gift of God. Salvation's a gift. Now, watch this, verse nine: not of works, not even of good works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, it, it, we have to understand that at the end of the day, we are who we are, we're going where we're going, but simply because of the blood of Jesus, not because something we have done to ourselves or for ourselves, thinking that we're great. Great place to say, Amen. amen. All right. So, listen, because I believe all that's true." I think in an attempt to prepare, once again, there's our word, prepare us for what lies ahead. Jesus gave us three parables out of Matthew chapter 25 that I think every one of us should pay attention to. And I want to quickly just bump up against them, and then we'll cruise. Here's the first parable that we find in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. So if you ever read it, you know that the overall point of that parable is about staying spiritually alert and spiritually prepared for Christ's return. How many of you guys know he is returning? right so so in short he was telling us uh, in that because we don't know the day or the hour that he's going to return uh, you know as a thief in the night says all that in Matthew 24 that you and I need to use wisdom on how we live our lives rather than approaching life haphazardly or foolish you know just thinking that you know we can continue to delay or put off the biggest and greatest decision of our lives and that's getting right with him or not right that he actually says in that parable that there's going to come a day when it's too late to get Get right. right. And so I want you to know that in the same way that those five foolish virgins couldn't go and, and borrow oil from the five wise virgins when the king came back, guess what? You and I can't borrow anyone's salvation when he returns. Right? So the second parable we see in Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. That's where we know one guy got five talents, another guy got two, and another got one. And it says that he gave them according to to their ability. And so if you keep reading it, though, you come down, I think it's about verse 14, 15, and it simply lets us know this, that there's going to come a day when the king, Jesus, when he's going to settle accounts with all his servants. Now, I understand that settle accounts may be something we're familiar with or not, but it literally means this in the Greek language. It means that he is going to compare what was given to what the person actually did with what was given. Now, for all you business people in here, let me say it this way because it may make a little bit more sense. Um, I don't know how your business runs, but at least how we operate as a church. Uh, Every month, this lady right here sends me and all the elders this thing called a P&L, profit and loss, right? We get a form of going, okay, this is how much was given through offerings, right, and tithes and offerings for the month. And this is the breakdown of what was spent. And so every month, we as a leadership team, we basically settle our account to see what's been spent and what we've did with what God has given us. Am I making sense? And so, uh, you know, another word is simply this. It's evaluation. And it's understanding that all of us should be evaluating our lives. In other words, we're looking going, you know, what do we do with what God told us to do? Did we obey? Did we not obey? What do we do with, you know, the assignments, the gifts, and the talents that he gave us? Because I hope we all understand that if we have a gift in this room, it's because he gave it to us, not because we gave it to ourselves. Right, And so it's understanding that what do we do with time and the opportunities and the relationships and even the spiritual investments that he gave us? How do we use our influence? Was it for his glory or for our own glory? Did we live a fruitful life or did we just out of fear of man and fear or whatever, did we go bury everything he gave us in the sand? Like, that's what the parables about. And then the third parable is really where he shifts gears and he turns the corner and he begins to talk about the final judgment. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we've, you know, spoken at great lengths about this over the past few weeks. But, but we know that, once again, that this that the first part of this judgment, he is going to separate the believers and the non-believers. And we know that the unbelievers, which he calls the goats, they're going to stand before the great white throne of judgment, and they're going to receive their eternal punishment, which we know unfolds all throughout eternity in hell, right? Whereas the believers who are known as the sheep, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They are based off of that evaluation we just talked about. That's going to determine the rewards that were given, which is going to unfold throughout eternity as well. But, But here's the thing I want us to see. I know that's a lot. But but what I just want us wants to see is that all of those parables, that's God showing us that He loves us enough to forewarn us of what's ahead so you and I won't be caught off guard and so that you and I, once again, key word, will be prepared to meet him face to face. That's why all of us will be without excuse when we stand before him. If you're with me, say oh yeah. All right, so last week, we're going we're gonna to shift gears here quite a bit. Last week, we talked about really the doctrine of hell. Today, we're going to talk about heaven, and uh, you, you should smile at me a lot more today than you did last week, <laughs> right? So, so I, I want to I wanna share first a thought with you, then I'm going to give you a verse, and then I'm going to give you a testimony, and then we're going to break down a little bit what the Bible says. All right, so here's the thought. I think it's important that you and I solidify in our hearts, just as we did with hell, that heaven is also a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. Okay, and the reason I say that is because, man, heaven's not fake. It's not some Disneyland fantasy. It's not a starry-eyed dream. It's not some you know pie-in-the-sky idea where some pudgy, you know, short people are floating around a bunch of clouds, right? You know, shooting arrows. We talked about all that stuff, right, all day long. And 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 it's not. Get this. It's not a made-up place to make Christians feel better. Right? Like, 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 let me just simply say this. If you study other religions, you'd understand that all other religions have uh, their version of heaven. And the reason is, is because the devil can't create, he can only pervert and twist thoughts to somehow deceive people. And so everything that God does that's right and that's good, the enemy is always trying to pervert it to confuse people. Right? And so that's where we get all these weird ideas of what the afterlife's gonna be like. That's why you and I need to know the Bible, and we need to actually know what the Bible says about heaven. Amen? And so the Bible simply says this that heaven is the eternal home of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So once again, notice it's not those who are good, it's those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Listen, it's because of that truth. Apostle Paul wrote this in First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, to understand in context... Uh, he was writing that to people who were being persecuted and loads of people were dying for the faith. And he was trying to say, look, guys, we're not people who, this is the end. We are people who have hope. And then he goes on to explain why they have hope. Says this a few verses later in verse 17. It says, then together with them, in other words, those who have died, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. And then it says these words I'm really wanting us to grab a hold of. It says, then we will be with the Lord forever. Good news. I'm amazed by how often we as a church don't really talk about, meaning meaning worldwide, we don't really mention hell. We're scared to talk about that because we might offend somebody. And then we don't really talk about heaven because you got to talk about both if you talk about it. Right? So we need to be aware. Amen? And then it says this in verse 18. It says, so encourage each other with these words. So we should be encouraging one another that the fact that this is a temporary home, but we have a forever home with God. Amen? So, so, where it said there, uh, you know, that basically the word hope, I want you to know the word hope in its truest form is an eager anticipation, an eager anticipation of what is to come. That's what hope is it's an eager anticipation of what's to come. So, so, our hope today as believers means connected to our future, it's not connected to our trials. Right, it's not connected to the stuff that we're struggling with, man. It's connected to the fact that we are God's people. We've been saved by His grace, and once again, we have an eternal, forever home in heaven. Come on, wave your hand if you know that's like really good news. Amen. All right, so so there's the thought, there's the verse. Now let me give you the testimony. Uh, I read this from a, a minister that I know and that I trust, and so this isn't some this isn't some random goofy thing off of Google. Okay. This is like legit, true, you can bank on it, it happened, okay? So here's the testimony. In October 1979, Pastor Tom Slayton came home one evening after a meeting, and when he walked in the front door, he found his wife crouching uh, down on their staircase, weeping uncontrollably. And obviously, when he saw his wife like that, he knew, oh man, something's wrong. And, and he quickly, a few minutes later, he found out that his, that his 10-year-old son, Tommy, had uh, brought a small TV set... Uh, in the bathroom while he bathed so he could watch a football game. And while he was bathing, he accidentally knocked the TV off into the bathtub and it electrocuted him, and it killed him, right? And and so when the pastor found his son, you know, he checked. His son had no pulse. His flesh was cold and it was blue. His eyes were fully dilated, which he knew that it indicated that there was no brain activity because before he was a pastor, he was a deputy sheriff that had uh, been given, you know, paramedic first aid training, so he knew what was going on with his son. And then the story says this, thankfully Tom knew the power of prayer, so he started praying and doing CPR on his son. After a few minutes, the paramedics arrived, so Tom left the medical work up for the experts while he continued to pray. Watch this, 45 minutes later, they were still unsuccessful in bringing Tommy back to life. And so uh, the EKG machine uh, had been literally flat the entire time. Now, uh, while that was going on, the paramedics began to get restless. They're like, man, when's this dad just going to stop and give up? And uh, Tom finally prayed, that's the, the pastor, he finally prayed, Father, I don't have any more faith. I've exhausted mine, but I know in your word you speak of another faith. He was talking about the gift of faith that's in Corinthians 12. And then it says, Tom said at that moment that he felt something like a hand on the top of his head. And once he did, he sensed a very strong force and authority rise up from within the spirit. And he shouted at his son, you will live and not die in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, the EKG machine started beeping. Beep. Beep. Right? With the pulse of motion uh, basically appearing, the, you know, on the screen, the paramedics jumped up, and, and, and basically by the time that they got Tommy from upstairs in the house down into the ambulance, he had already gone from blue to pink. His eyes were fully restored, and his body was warm. Uh, but but what his dad and his mom didn't realize in all the excitement is that really the fight for their son's life had just begun. And the reason is is because he went into a coma And and when the doctors were examining while he was in his coma, they discovered uh, kidney tissue coming out of his catheter, which meant basically when he was electrocuted, his body and sort had a meltdown. And so what the doctors did, uh, they told him, they said, look, if your son even lives, uh, he's going to be a vegetable, and he's going to basically have the social function of a three-month-old baby. So to make a real long story short, because we don't have time to go into all of it, basically after seven months of, of praying and fighting for their child, you know, they just didn't give up. Finally, Tommy came out of the coma, and then, you know, fast forward three days uh, after they had been released from the hospital, they were sitting at their house. And here's the whole reason I'm telling you this. It's while they were sitting there, Tom looked at his son, you know, 10-year-old Tommy's face, and it was glowing. And, uh, and he asked him, man, what's going on, Tommy. And here's what this little 10-year-old boy said. He said, Dad, I've been with Jesus. He said, when the TV hit the bathtub, I didn't feel the thing. A huge angel grabbed my right arm and took me right out of my body we flew through a tunnel really fast and landed on the streets of heaven he went on to tell his dad that the streets were made up of such pure gold that you could see through them and then tommy shared that the first people to greet him on the street were relatives who had died and he named each one of them and some he he had never met and he didn't even know their names like they were in previous generations that his parents knew but he didn't know and so he was also welcomed by a lady named Phyllis. And uh, Phyllis had been his neighbor right right. basically uh, a month before Tommy was electrocuted. His his mom led their neighbor to the Lord. It was an older lady. And two weeks later, she died. And so here he is reconnected with her in heaven. And this says that they were all talking when basically the group separated and Jesus was standing there. And then Jesus kind of began to give Tommy, you know, for lack of a better term, a tour of heaven, and uh, so Tommy said that there were there were many streets and buildings. He talked about it being a large city, the uh, the flowers, the grass, even rocks were all alive, singing in harmony as if they were praising God. And then he said if you stepped on a piece of grass or some flower, it wouldn't crush it, but immediately it'd rebound to look like it's supposed to look. And then those colors that were vibrant and bright, right? That in other words. Much brighter than what he saw on earth. He talked about what you've heard a lot of people say. Colors that they had never even seen before on this planet. And, uh, and then here's the part that's wild. It says, then came the shock. Jesus told Tommy he had to go back. He didn't want to leave heaven. But then Jesus brought him to a place where he pulled open a veil. And Tommy could see his father calling him back. And he saw his dad praying. And Jesus said, he is your father and has the authority to call you back. It's crazy that a 10-year-old would say that, right? He is your father, and he has the authority to call you back. And so to fast forward, like, like that's 1979. Tommy, to my knowledge, is still alive, right? He's, he's like a 54-year-old dude now. Uh, he's not a vegetable, right? This guy went on to graduate high school. He graduated UCLA, went to Bible college with honors. He's married. He's got kids. God totally redeemed the thing. Am I making sense, y'all? All right. So, so watch this. Uh, that's the testimony. I think pretty incredible story. Okay, I could have shared a lot with you, but that's pretty amazing. But, but here's what I really want us to see. I don't want to get caught all up necessarily in the glimpse of heaven as much as I want to see that there's a reality of heaven, that it's true. Amen? So here's the details. Let's, let's go Bible. And uh, even though I know that everything I'm going to share today really isn't going to do any, any of what we're going to experience justice. Like, I don't think any of us are really going to understand heaven until we get there. But thankfully, God's given us a a few details so we can kind of have a grid of what heaven is like and, and the hope that we have and the promise that awaits us. Amen? So let me give you seven characteristics of heaven really quick. Jesus said this. Number one, he said that heaven is a prepared place. We find this in Matthew 25. Says, then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit, that means receive or partake in the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, I know that might kind of seem a little silly, but, but listen, to me, that reveals the heart of God towards us, shows his love towards us. Think about it this way. Last week we were talking about hell. One of the things I mentioned is how people get so upset and they, and they tend to say, How can a loving God send people to hell? That's a question that's presented all the time. And, and I told you, that, look, the man, the Bible's really clear. Jesus said that the hell wasn't made for people. And so, watch this. On the flip side, I want us to see today what was made for people. This is what he originally designed for every person. This is why he wishes none would perish. This is why Jesus came in the flesh and died for our sins because he loves us so much. Guess what? He created eternal home, and he wants to be with us for eternity. We just have to receive it. It's up to us. It's no different than, guess what? I can send out an invitation to every single person in this room, but guess what? I can't make you come to my house. Uh, you know, William put it this way. We, we we gave out, I don't know, a thousand invitations to our Easter services, right? So we had uh, a very large crowd. Awesome, okay? Glad they came. But guess what? Every person that got one of those didn't come. It's the same way. Just because people hear the gospel, it doesn't mean that they're going to receive it, yeah? So let me give you an additional thought here because I, I want to... Once again, if there's any confusion in our heads, I want you to understand that this prepared place is exactly that. It's a literal place, right? In other words, uh, when we talk about heaven, when it, guess what? There's going to be dirt. There's going to be grass. There's going to be flowers. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be water. There's going to be trees. It, you, you know, once again, it's not this nirvana energy thing that we're all kind of floating, Right? And I'm saying that because the Bible tells us real clear in 2 Peter in the last few chapters of Revelation that guess what? There's going to come a day where he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. It even describes the new Jerusalem. So there's going to be a literal place that we are going to live and we're going to do life. Amen? Second thing Jesus said about heaven is this, is it's a personal place. I like this. He said this to his disciples in John 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now watch this. I go to prepare a place for who? For you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There where I am, there you may be also. Once again, I don't think Jesus picked that word on accident. Right? To me, it removes, it. When, when it talks about, when he used the word you, it removes this idea that, that heaven is such a grand and glorious place that somehow you and I are going to get lost in the crowd. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I've read the Bible before where it talks about multitudes singing, and I'm just thinking, am I going to be like a faceless name in the crowd? Right, but but according to this man, it removes that idea and it shows that heaven is basically in this warm, personal, inviting place where you and I get to know Him more intimately. Like it, like it's the difference between you know you and I going to the mailbox and getting a flyer from some you know big corporation that's inviting you and I to the grand opening of their new location versus you know we got a personal invitation to show up at someone's house for a dinner. We are going to a wedding. Right. All right. So the third thing the Bible teaches us is that heaven is a permanent place. This is kind of obvious, you know. Just as hell is permanent, so is heaven. Some verses that echo this. Revelation twenty two tells us that those who go there will reign forever and ever. John three sixteen. Most of us know it. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what everlasting or eternal life. Right. And we just read in John fourteen, Jesus said, "Where I am, there you may be also." Which, if your brain works like mine, I ask, well, how long is Jesus going to be in heaven? Me too, right? So the fourth thing the Bible teaches us that heaven is a place of presence. It's his presence. Revelation 21.3 says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God. In other words, God's home is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Let me say it this way. Have you ever been in a spot where you're like, man, I have not felt the presence of God in a while. In fact, very quickly, I will tell you a story. I remember I went pretty much, I don't know, like six months, seven months, eight months. I think we got to about nine months. This was years ago where I'm like, God, where are you? Now, get me in the altar and pray for somebody, God would move. Uh, In my own personal prayer time, I literally was like, God didn't exist. (laughs) I was like, where are you even at? And one day... Um, I was minding my own business. Some of y'all heard me tell the story before, and, and I'm separating laundry because I'm a great husband. <laughs> I, I, I probably have only done it about five times since, but I was, but I was, I was, I was uh, separating laundry the way my mama taught me, with the whites and colors, right? I was doing my thing, right? And, and I look up, like I was sitting there, I was, did this. He's here. And I was like, he's here. And I looked. And uh, I just, like, sat up, and I saw my little girl. She was She's 16 now, but she was about, I don't know how do the math, nine years ago. And, um, and, and she uh, was, was on her knees, bent over with her face in the carpet and her hands like this, out on the ground. She knew, a seven-year-old, knew Jesus just walked in the room, right? So, so to understand, it's like it's that feeling is there all the time. That's what heaven's like. Am I making sense? So, so it means that where it doesn't really matter where we go in the new heaven, the new earth. Man, we're always going to be aware of the tangible manifest presence of God. See, that's why it says in verse 23 in Revelation 21, it says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it for the glory, the visible glory of God illuminates it. That the Lamb, Jesus, is its light. In other words, heaven's full of glory. Amen? Kind of a given. Which means this, number five, this is key. This is where I I want us to understand the difference of our lives versus what the hope that awaits us. So heaven, it must mean that heaven's a place of joy and peace. What what did David say in, in Psalm 1611? It says in your presence, that word presence literally means in his face, is fullness of joy. Right? In addition to that joy, uh, another proof of God's presence being in a place of what I was so aware of that day when I was doing laundry is man, is peace entered the room. Right. Why, why, why would peace be in heaven? Because he is the Prince of Peace. It's his very essence, right? And so, once again, this must mean that the heaven's a peaceful place. So, if I can bring that in context and just lean in with me for a few more minutes, we're almost done. Listen to what Revelation 21 says it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many of y'all know that's good news? There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. after a while, I get tired of seeing people die. It's tough, right? this is, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So I want you to think about living in a place where there's an absence of all of that, and there's an absence of sin, to understand that that's why in heaven we'll experience joy and peace like we've never experienced before. Good news. Here's the sixth thing the Bible teaches us is that it's a place of rest. It simply says this. And I've read this several times at funerals, but it says it's Revelation 14:13. It says, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Y- y'all get that? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. D- d- I can't really understand this. We all want to go to heaven, but we're all afraid to die. Jesus said that if we know him, we're blessed in our death because there's another life that's waiting on us. Amen? And then it says this. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest. How many of you guys could use some rest? Me too. The word rest there actually means refreshment, and it means to cease from labor in order to recover strength. Amen. Amen. Pastor Brian, that means you'll be home before 9 o'clock. All right? So, and lastly, as we can expect, heaven is this, number seven, it's a place of praise. So, so get this, we are going to be doing life, right? We're going to be living life. And in the middle of that, there's moments, I, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably jacking some theological stuff up here, but in the moments of living life, we're going to have these praise breaks, I'm sure that's not theological. All right, so Revelation 7, verse 9 says this. says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It says, All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. I love that, saying amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. In short, this is the best worship night you've ever had in your life, okay? All right, so in my opinion, the I have to say that the best part of all the things we're talking about today, hopefully I haven't confused you, uh, comes from Revelation 22, verse 4. It simply says this, best part of heaven, they will see His face I love that why is that important listen in closing let me say this to you think about the instant revelation that's going to come in the instant we see his face right like here on this earth man and maybe it's just the world I live in where I'm where I'm constantly having to have conversations about what's doctrine correct what's not doctrine correct. all these conversations that gets super tiring. That there's going to come a day where it's like, oh, that's where we were all wrong. Right? And, and so I just think like in, in literally one gaze into the face of Jesus, and let me say this, that we're going to see in him the fulfillment of everything that we have known in this life is good and Right? Right? That that there's this idea that there that's perfect love. That's what it looks like. Oh, that's peace. Oh, that's joy. And once again, it's going to remove that tension that we all feel between grace and truth, mercy and justice. Right? Purity and holiness. Like we're we're going, we're going to understand. Like that's knowledge. That's wisdom. That's goodness. That's power. Right? That's beauty. That's glory. Like we're going to finally understand. What's the Bible say? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, right now we know in part, we see in part. But then, when perfect, when Jesus comes, man, we're going to know him as much as he knows us. That's incredible, y'all. Amen? Amen. So, so I just think, you know, how can I say this? You know, for, for 26 years, I've heard people talk about heaven, right? It's how long I've been saved. And, uh, and they, they, they talk a lot about the beauty of heaven, and that's understandable. But, man, I want us as God's people to know, man, the greatest part of heaven is that we're with him. It's fulfillment of the intimate relationship that Jesus died for. Amen? Amen. I got one verse for you, so why don't you stand to your feet. I got a verse that I want to pray into, and we'll be done for the day. I want to say this in light of what we talked about a while ago out of Matthew 25 when it talks about the parable uh, you know, of the talents and the evaluation that's going to happen. Like, like I, I want us to understand that we are, we are, we're going to have a day when we're going to meet him, and we need to be ready for that, okay? And then there's, for us that maybe don't know him in this place, guess what? You, you're, going to, you're going to see him face-to-face just like we are. It just may be in a different scenario. So let me show you this verse really quick. Revelation 19, 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Watch this, this next part. And His wife has made herself ready. And His wife has made herself ready. I, you know, I, I haven't really thought about this piece much, but when I was closing last service... I I was reminded of my own wedding day. Like Jennifer and I on June 21st just celebrated 20 years of marriage. And and, and in my mind, I went all the way back to to that day where I was standing in Lafayette First Assembly in Lafayette, Louisiana, right? Standing at church uh, up front with my brother as my best man and and his dad officiating. The back doors open, and there stood Jennifer and her father and uh, and, and my wife, uh, you know, in that white dress right her hair and her makeup right like perfect and and man i remember as soon as i saw her because it wasn't about ralph but it was about jennifer um i i, I started crying <laughs> ralph didn't make me cry jen did okay I had to clarify and and I, but it was but i was uh, just awestruck of her beauty right so, so now, can you imagine how I would have felt if the doors would have opened in the back and there she was sitting in some sweatpants, hair in a bun, you know, uh, you know, whatever, looking like a wreck. Ain't brushed your teeth in her week, and you know, her, I don't know, her legs looking like Sasquatch, whatever, right? So, 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 can can you can you imagine? The the, the I probably wouldn't have cried. I probably I probably would have ran, right? Okay, so. Anyways, so I just think this, you know, whatever, poor analogy, I, I understand, but, but, but how do we want to present ourselves to Jesus one day? When, when the door of eternity opens and he looks at his bride, do we want to be look like we are prepared for the moment, like Jen did, or do we want to look like, I didn't really care. I, I'm just glad I'm here. Am I making sense? So, so I just think, man, this is, this is why I try throughout the year to just evaluate my own life and go, Jesus, who am I dressing up to be? Am, 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 I, am I being prepared to be your bride? Or am I just, whatever. Covered by grace. Amen. All right. So, so and if you're not right with God, I want you to know, man, that, that you don't have to miss out on that moment. All you have to do is simply say, Jesus, save me. Meet me where I'm at. Forgive me of my sins. Understand that he is who he says he is. He is alive. He did die for you. Amen? So, so once again, we many of us in this room have made that decision. And I'm telling you, uh, as we sang earlier, uh, he won't disappoint you. I can promise you that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I'm simply asking God for every single one of us in this church today that we would Evaluate what needs to be evaluated, so we could be the bride that you've called us to be. God, we want to be people that, that literally stand before you one day, and literally have a crown that you've given us to be able to lay back at your feet, and to simply to be able to worship you and stand in awe of you and enjoy who you are. God, we're so grateful that we are people that have a hope. God, that we know that this isn't the end. But, God, we actually get to spend eternity with you. and God, that's amazing. And and there's literally no way to say thank you enough. And so, Lord, for us maybe that are in this room that don't know you, uh, Lord, I'm asking simply the Holy Spirit that you would drill down their heart. And, God, that today would be the day that they say not because I'm, I'm looking for some get out of hell free card but because they're looking for uh, just the one who loves them and create them has got a plan and a purpose for their life that literally out of response of you dying for them that they would say yes back to you and they would say Jesus you gave me your life so I want to give you my life in return Lord we ask God that you would make that connection as only you can today so Lord we honor you we bless you we thank you for your word let it go down deep in our hearts and let it produce the fruit that you desire to see in our lives in Jesus name.